It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, March 6, 2014. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Here we go again. We're welcoming you to the program. We're glad that you're listening. We look forward to hearing from you. We're going to carry over... Uh, a program from last part of uh, some questions from last week uh, we didn't get finished and uh, so since we didn't get finished we're going to carry it over but you've added more to the list and we may not get finished to this list well what we did last week <clears throat> we suggested a, a discussion sort of defending jesus defending his character defending his conduct yes uh, so last week we talked about some false views of jesus you know yeah. For instance, was he a created being or was he just one of the angels? Right. That sort of thing. And I think we had a, an interesting discussion. We had planned to get into some accusations that have been made against him concerning some of the things he did while he was here on earth. We didn't get to that part. So we basically broken it down into two parts, Jacob. Last week was false views about Jesus. Tonight we're going to talk about false charges made against Jesus. All right. We'll look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. That line's toll free. You can join in the chat room if you're listening to us live. You can also email us at questions at collegeview.com. Dan is here behind the controls. Dan, thank you for coming tonight. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you on the program. Let us know your thoughts. Did Jesus do wrong? You gave us, I don't know, how, what letter is J? You gave us... Uh, Was there 11? Uh, le- uh, no, I think you gave us 10, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, ten things that people, well, pr- supposed errors in Jesus' you know, life. Uh, I had suggested four last week, and after the program, our friend Chris in the U.K. Sent, oh. sent me all these others. Oh, Chris, thank you. Yeah, so we thank Chris for giving us several other things that he's heard of where people said, you know, Jesus did wrong there. Yes. And so that's the point that we really want to address. Did Jesus do wrong? Now, before we even get to that, Chris sent in what I thought was sort of an interesting observation uh, you know, we asked sort the question. Of take the punch out of the program, though. I mean, it's not going to have so much as much zing after we read his. his well, what he, what he said is, you know, we we asked, did Jesus do wrong in these events? And we're going to talk about some specific events. But he says uh, this really needs to be answered. The idea, did did he do wrong at yeah. all? Mm-hmm. And he he references several verses. I would probably won't read all of them, but like for instance, Hebrews four verse fifteen. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Mm -hmm. The Bible teaches that Jesus was sinlessly perfect. Uh, Hebrews 7.21, for indeed it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Um, Yeah, yeah. uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, for our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yeah. First Peter two twenty two. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Over and over again. Yeah. So just re- repeatedly uh, are the statements that Jesus was sinless. Yeah. Uh, and so you know he also he also says we have the testimony of Pilate who said in John eighteen verse thirty eight I find no guilt in him and the centurion who was in charge of the crucifixion. Uh, Praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. Wow. So um, he says, for, so let's just say, for the sake of argument, that none of the following explanations are pervasive. Now, we're going to look at these various arguments. Yeah. Uh, but he says, here's a better question. If the Bible is God's word, tells us that Jesus did no sin, as it clearly does, who are we to say that he actually did sin? Right. In other words, how how can we put an interpretation on something and say Jesus was sinning when the Bible says he didn't? By definition, it's taking care of the question for us. By definition, yeah. Since Jesus didn't sin, then these things are not sinful. It seems so. Yeah. So I think that's a good observation from Chris. All right. So Chris, thank you for your uh, for your your uh, submittals here for things to discuss. But you are 
laying a good foundation for us in that Jesus did not sin. And so how do we then interpret these events so that we can conclude, well, Jesus didn't sin in these instances? Sort of, Jacob. It's, it's sort of a mindset. How do you approach these things from Jesus? Do you approach them as, ha-ha, I got one on him? Yeah. Or do you approach them, I need to understand these events in light of the fact that what Jesus did was obviously not sinful. And it's going to get down to how well we respect the authority of God's word. Because a lot of there are religious people today who, who have fault with things that were done in the Bible. Uh, for instance, people, there are religious people today who say Paul was a bigot and a homophobe. And so they say, well, and he hated wrong. women. Yeah, yeah, right. And and so so those that he was wrong when he said that. Yeah. Uh, and there's other things in the Bible people have a problem with. For instance, divorce and remarriage. Well, that was wrong. Jesus taught that. He, he taught wrong. Well, if, you, if you're going to do that, then you might as well remember when we away. Remember when we interviewed the Presbyterian preacher who said that Jesus was uninformed on the subject of homosexuality. Right. right. He, that, he, he knew just better did, than This than guy, Jesus. this guy, modern day man, a man knew better than Jesus on the subject of human sexuality. And you'd like to think that's uh, isolated, that not many people think that way. But there are many, many people in the religious world today who claim to be Christians, followers of Christ, who would make similar claims. And so it gets down to the fact, do we respect the authority of God's word or not? Do we ex- respect what it says, and it says that Jesus didn't sin? Are we going to take that inter- that clear statement and then make our understanding of the Bible harmonize with it? Or are we going to stand on our think-sos and our understandings and our social you know, mores could, if, and say, well, this is sin. I don't care what the Bible says. Jesus did wrong here. Well, the fact of the matter is if we could prove in any single instance that Jesus did sin, right. then just throw your Bible away. Right. If you could find one certified, verifiable instance where Jesus sinned, then you might as well just throw the yep, whole Bible yep, away and go, right. go fishing on Sunday. Absolutely. You're wasting your time. Yep. Get rid of it and, and do your own thing. All right. So... Uh, there's so many of these, Jacob. I don't think we'll read them all ahead of time, but just know, as we always every week mention, that we send out our study idea to our update list uh, about noon on Thursday to tell you what our topic is going to be, to give you some questions, begin to seek your feedback. And we did that earlier today. We sent out these 10 different accusations that are sometimes made against Jesus. Yes. If you want to be on that list and you're on, and you are not, Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and just say, add me to the list, and we'll put you on there. All right, so let's start out. The, one of the, the first one we had in our list was some people think Jesus did wrong in the way that he spoke to his mother well, in John chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, John chapter 2, beginning verse 1, the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Well, so, it sort of so sounds no, like no, a was little it, was he, disrespectful. Was he, was he disrespectful, snippy? Uh, was, was, was he not showing proper honor for his mother there in that instance? Well, now, okay. Uh, you know I, you know, you know what my first observation might be about that, Jacob? What's that? If that's the best thing you got, you haven't got much. If that's the best accusation you can make against Jesus, you haven't got very much to go on. Well, and there's some. Inter- I, I like some of the comments that we got from our listeners. Anthony, for instance, said we don't have the whole conversation. We don't know anything about the tone. Mary apparently didn't take offense to what he said. Well, that's right. You would think that a mother, if she had just been told by her son, would have said no. Come here, boy, and get across my knee. Yeah, let, let me set you straight on that now. Yeah, that's right. And I especially liked what Randy in Sports Creek, Michigan said. He said um, uh, Jesus, uh, he, Jesus was not being disrespectful to his mother, and here's why I can say that. He references John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. As yeah, we don't need to read all that. But, but as he's addressing right. Mary on the cross, he said uh, to John, behold thy mother, he said to, to Mary, Woman, behold he used thy the son. same expression. I think I, I, I had that that note as well, and I think that's a great argument, Randy. That you know that was obviously a touching moment in which Jesus was expressing real concern for his mother, yeah. and he uses the same terminology. All right, and uh, and then uh, he references the angels addressing Mary in John chapter twenty, verses twelve through sixteen, where they use the same term, "Woman, why weepest thou?" So uh, I, I like that. Uh, so apparently. We don't understand the language of that day. We're, we're maybe putting our take on uh, the language that is used and maybe bringing it to, to terms of uh, today's language. And it uh, apparently was not a ter- uh, 
I think the thing is, you know, sometimes we talk about things losing something in translation. Yeah. Uh, it sounds harsh in the English, but I've got a notes from a couple of commentators who apparently know the language and say that it, it was not, it, yeah. it is not constructed grammatically as a harsh, mat, uh, harsh statement. Okay. Uh, Ramona in Texas says when Jesus reprimands, now she sees it as reprimand. She says when Jesus reprimands, reprimands Mary, calling her woman rather than mother, he implies that he's not conforming to her authority but acting under his heavenly father's authority. The statement establishes that Mary, even his physical mother, has no authority over Jesus, destroying any belief that urges us to pray to Mary or to, inter- to intercede for us. I don't know. That may be taking, may be taking a little further than we can go with that statement, but, um, I'd, I'd, if it's a uh, this this one uh, uh, commentator says though the Lord's statement was a reproof, it was a very gentle one. Okay. Uh, another says the remark of Jesus to his mother appears to be a polite request to refrain from interference and to leave the whole matter to him. Well, Chris in the UK says it was normal for Jews speaking to women to call them by the name of their sex. He references Matthew fifteen twenty eight, Luke thirteen twelve, John four twenty one. Saying that in saying woman, not mother, was to signify to her that in this instance he did not own her as his mother or one with authority over him. Hence the next words, what does this have to do with me? Showing both a displeasure, but more that she had no right upon him in this thing. His duty is not to his mother, but to his father. He was also, also she was not to prescribe the timing of his public ministry. My hour has not yet come, for in this Life, she and we been to his will, not him to hers or ours. So thank you for that, Chris. I have an email just come in from Daniel who says this is an important part of him revealing who he was. One of his first signs to prove who he was. Of course, that is true. That that was the first miracle he worked there in John chapter two. Uh, so he's revealing who he was and who he was going to say he was. To prove most of all to the disciples that there was to him more than a mere person, his statement was to show the emphasis on what his purpose was to be and not on the event they were taking place in, put questions in minds of people to think outside the physical and focus on the purpose. I'm not not sure I follow that completely, but it, we do know that that was a significant event in regards to the fact that it was the first of the miracles that Jesus performed. He was beginning to prove himself to be the only begotten Son of God. All right. Uh, let's uh, quickly get on to the next one before the break. Okay, so there's number one. We know, as I said, Jacob. I think if that's the best accusation you can make against Jesus, that's a pretty weak one. Well, they're, we're gonna they're gonna try again though with a number of right. accusation. All right, here's another accusation made against him in Matthew chapter eight. Yes, Jesus uh, was instrumental. It is argued in destroying a whole herd of swine. You may mm-hmm. re- remember the oh, instance yes. where swine ran down the hill. And into the to the sea and were drowned and destroyed. Yes. And the the accusation made against Jesus is he didn't own those swine, and uh, you know in in sending them sending the demons into the swine and the swine into the sea, Jesus caused uh, maybe a significant loss of monetary value to the owners of those pigs. What are you going to do with that one? What are you going to do with that? It seems like a destruction of property case on our hands here. I, I tell you what we got here. We got a sort of a two-edged sword. If the accusers of Jesus are going to use that case, yeah. they are implying that they accept the reality of the fact that Jesus cast out demons. Oh. In other words, you can't have it both ways. If 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 you're going to accuse him of destroying the swine, then you are... Tacitly admitting that he had the power to cast out demons. You see that? I see that. Yeah. And so uh, I'm not sure they. I'm not sure that the opponents of Jesus really want that one yeah, as their you main might get case. Some gum on your shoe there. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, let's see what our listeners have to say on that. Chris in the UK says one. This was the demons' request, not his decision. Two. What is a herd of pigs doing in Israel? Also, Psalm 24 verse one. If the earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it, then it is his property as well. So the wanton damage. Uh, if that's what you thought. Uh, so it's not wanting damage if that's what you thought. To me, it shows his power to heal and his power to destroy. All right? All right. That was, that was, was Chris. That was Chris. Okay. Anthony says uh, he was the first. Oh, sorry, no, wait a minute. I'll get to When he destroyed the swine not belonging to him, the demons destroyed the swine, not Jesus. Evil exists then and it exists now. Bad things happen as a result, often to innocent people. 
I think that's the way I would go about answering this. Um, the, you know, to blame Jesus for the destruction of the swine when it was the demons who caused the destruction of the swine, I think, is, is a wrong accusation. All right. If you want to blame somebody, blame, blame the devil and his demons. Uh, Randy says, let's, uh, let us uh, keep in mind that swine were considered an unclean animal among the Jews. We see that Jesus placed a higher value upon man to heal him than he did on the swine. And uh, does, does it anywhere say that these were domesticated swine? Yeah, they had keepers, I think. Okay, it, I think, yeah. Okay. Uh, what is that in, in Matthew 8? Uh, it says... Uh, Those who kept them fled. That's yeah, right, yeah, verse 33. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I think they belonged to somebody. But I, I'm going to rest my case on the fact that Jesus didn't do anything other than cast the demons out. They're the ones who wanted to go in the swine. Jesus just allowed that to happen. He didn't cause it to happen. And and certainly he didn't cause them to cause the swine. In other words, about as far as you could go is they asked Jesus to be cast into the swine. Yeah. And Jesus permitted that. Right. Nothing was said about the fact when we get in the swine, we're going to run off this cliff into yeah. the sea and drown yeah. them all. Yeah. You know, you got to blame the demons for that. I can yeah. blame Jesus for that. Right. So I, I think that's another really weak case. If you're trying to find something to accuse Jesus about, that's a really weak case. All right. Be the equivalent of you asking if you could borrow my hammer, then you went and beat in Dan's uh, windows with it. Am I, am I yeah. responsible? Yeah. For can, it? can I borrow your hammer? Sure. Yeah, you can have it. Okay. And then I go right outside and, and bust in Dan's windshield. Yeah. It's your fault because yeah. you let me have the hammer. All right. Okay. That right. doesn't make sense, right? When we get back, we've got number letter C here. Uh, when he told his brothers he was not going to the feast, but then he went. Did he do wrong? John 7, verses 1 through 9. And that's yeah. going to be a good one for that our That might be a little more here. substantial case, but I think we can answer it. All right. We're going to go to the break and get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo recently made news headlines by saying that conservatives are not really welcomed in his state. He said, quote, These extreme conservatives who are right to life, pro-assault weapon, anti-gay, they have no place in the state of New York, unquote. This is just the latest example of the extreme intolerance of social liberals in our culture who hypocritically claim tolerance while intolerantly condemning others who disagree with them. The problem seems to be that there's been a shift in the meaning of tolerance. Historically, it has meant a respect for a person's right to choose. Today, it has come to mean a required acceptance and approval of another's conduct. The Bible acknowledges the first but denies the latter. God grants each individual the right to choose their course of action. Moses, God's great lawgiver of the Old Testament, stated this plainly when he said, quote, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Notice God allowed their freedom to choose, but he warned that he could not accept their bad choices. This is the consistent pattern of God's tolerance. Jesus also allowed choice. Notice how he desired people to come to him. He said, quote, How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and ye would not? Matthew 23, verse 37. But he also openly condemned sin and weakness, and he warned of the eternal consequences. Matthew 23, verses 31 and following. The Apostle Paul consistently presented sinners with the choice to obey God or not, but when evil men were in error, his patience and tolerance endured, quote, no, not for an hour, Galatians 2, verse 5. So, Christians today are instructed to, quote, earnestly contend for the faith, Jude 3. In doing so, we are presenting our fellow men with the choice to serve God or reject him. We tolerate their right to choose, but we can offer no endorsement of religious error or moral depravity. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the program tonight. We welcome you back, and we'll look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. As we talk about alleged claims that Jesus did wrong, that he sinned in uh, doing actions on his part, we'll remind you, Chris set the, the groundwork for us here, inciting the numerous passages that show us that uh, Jesus did not sin. So we've got to then 
harmonize our understanding with uh, what Jesus said. Okay. So the one we're going to, we have a caller, Dan? Okay, all right. Uh, the one we're going to now is, did Jesus sin? Actually, did he tell a lie when he told his brothers he was not going to the feast but then went? John chapter 7, beginning verse 1. Uh, let me read that real quick, Jacob, because this I think this is a more substantial question. Mm-hmm. Maybe it makes a little more of a challenge. John 7, verse 1, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brother therefore, brethren therefore said to him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples may see thy works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeth, uh, seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world, for neither did his brethren believe in him. Now, uh, first of all, get what's happening there. His brother, This is talking about his, his blood brothers or okay. his blood half-brothers. Uh, the other sons of Mary. His half brother, yeah, right. Uh, and and they're basically taunting him. You know, yeah. if you are who you claim to be, go up to go up to the feast and do what you claim you can do up yeah. there, and yeah. let people see it. Because if you really want to be known, you don't hide secrets. You need to be out there in the open. Okay. Uh, so Jesus answered, verse six. Then Jesus said to them, "My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready." The world cannot hate you, but it hateth me because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up to the feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words to them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brothers were gone, then went he also up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Mm-hmm. All right, have we got a case there? Did he tell them one thing and do another? Did, Did he, he lie? Did he lie? In that case, what do you think? All right. Well, why don't we get our listeners' feedback here? Chris says uh, there's a disputed word yet in verse 8. It tells me that he wanted to go up to teach, not to show himself to the world. Uh, uh, again, it is a case of it's in line with my will, not yours. Uh, I think I, this, I think that is an important thing to note. The translations are somewhat different. Apparently, there's some manuscript difference there in verse 8. The King James says, the New King James says this as well. The New International Version says it as well. Ye go up to the feast, I go not up yet unto the feast. In other words, he didn't say he wasn't going, he said he wasn't going yet. If that translation is indeed accurate, I think that takes away the contradiction. You know, they're, they're, you know he says, you all go on, I'm not going just yet. Okay. That's, that's what we'd say. You know, if you if you said, Jacob, uh, I'm, going to the Na- I'm going to Nashville tomorrow, come go with me. I said, no, I'm not going yet. And then later in the day, I go, I haven't lied to you. Yeah. You know, if you went in the morning and I said, I'm not going yet, okay. and I went in the afternoon, then I didn't tell a lie to you, right? Yeah. No, no. and Ramona says he wanted to go in secret. She references verse 10, so that would harmonize with, with Chris's explanation. Randy in uh, Michigan says Jesus simply chose not to go up at that time. The feast is about half over when Jesus finally decided to, uh, to go in his time. Uh, was not yet um, so uh, so Jesus had gone later, Randy says. Uh, Chris, oh, you already read Chris's, yeah. Uh, I tell you, maybe another potential explanation of that, I think it works really. When, whenever you're faced with a dilemma like this, you only have to come up with one feasible explanation to resolve the issue. But I think there may be multiple explanations here. He wasn't going to go up to the feast in the manner that his brothers were taunting him to go. In other words, their manner, they want to go up there, make a big show. You know, you, you claim you're the son of God. You claim you can do these miracles. Go up there if you can. Yeah. In other words, they were, they were taunting him. And Jesus was not going to go to the feast on that basis. Right. He wasn't going to go in response to their taunts. And he wasn't going to go because he, he, he actually said, my time is not yet. He was not going to go to show himself openly to the Jews. He, Jesus, all throughout his life and his ministry, he was regulating the progression of events and i think that's what he was doing here all right we'll look forward to hearing from you on the phone tonight in email or in the chat room we'll look forward to your comments as we look at these alleged discrepancies these alleged uh misdoings of jesus did he lie well it doesn't appear that he did obviously he didn't uh because uh he says uh that he wasn't going yet or that he was going to go later so uh, we see the discrepancy all right all right 
All right, so we the phone's ringing, but no, we're not getting no answers. Yep, if you're having trouble getting through, give us a call again, 877-381-4567. All right, so we've dealt with three of the ten. Let's, let's move on to another one, Jacob, before our halfway break. Did Jesus actually deny being God? In other words, now that would be that would be a major issue. Here we say that he was deity, that he the was Bible the says Son that of he God. He was in John chapter one. Many places well, we talked John about that last one. week, right, in fact, right? 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 Yeah. Uh, but did Jesus deny actually being God in Mark chapter ten? Many of you will remember the rich young ruler who came to him. Uh, and and that conversation starts out in Mark chapter 10 at verse 17. When he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. And then the, the conversation goes on. But... Uh, the interpretation that that some skeptics and doubters want to place on verse eighteen is that Jesus yes. saying, "There's only why are you calling me good? There's only one who's good, and that's God." And so basically implying, "I'm not God, and I'm not good. Why are you calling me that?" That's not what he was getting at there, and I think our listeners are going to uh, uh, illuminate this for us. And uh, Chris says he was not denying that he was God. He was trying to get the young man to realize that he was more than merely good or a teacher, but was far more, namely God. Also, he openly told the woman at the well and the blind man of John chapter 9 who he was, not to mention the disciples or those who would arrest him and try, and try him, among others. Also, I, he, you know, that's a nice British spelling there of among there for Chris, A-M-O-U-N-G. Uh, yeah, and I didn't say it right, I'm sure, but there, that, I like that little twist. Uh, also throw in the IMs and the opportunities were plentiful for people to know who he was. I think uh, that Chris is making a good observation here. Jesus was not saying that he wasn't God. He was trying to show them if he called him good, then he was admitting that he was I God. think that's the explanation. In other words, why do you call me God? Why do you call me good? Right. Uh, the only good one is God. Yeah. And Jesus right. is basically saying, if you're going to acknowledge me as good, then you must acknowledge that I am who I claim I am, the Son of God. Yeah. It would be like, uh, you know, let's say that you don't like onions. Dan, do you like onions, Dan? Dan likes onions. Well, let's just say that you don't, Dan, and uh, and you're adamant that I, I hate onions. I can't stand them in any way. And your wife makes you a pot of chili, and she slips some onions in there. And then you go to your wife and say, that was a great pot of chili. It, was it great? Well, it, it's it's hard to say because I do like onions. So well, you see what I'm saying story. though. She yeah. says if you if you say it was good, yeah. then you must be admitting that you like. Yeah, it. I would be admitting that it was good. Yes, yeah, right. yeah. So you yeah. like onions. All right. So I think he, that's I think that's the, yeah. that's the explanation right there. Yeah. Uh, Randy, Randy says uh, our Lord was 100 percent God and 100 percent man, and as a man he was tempted to sin, but never did. He lived a sinless life of suffering and his obedience to do the will of God. It is through Jesus only that we can be hoped we can save. I think that's just a general statement. I don't think he actually addressed this one, other than to attest. Randy's basically attesting to the fact that Jesus is God, and we believe that. And Jesus claimed that. Um, this is uh, who have I got this here? Is Ramona. Ramona said he never really answered that question. It was for us to find out, and she references John ten. Uh, verses 31 through 36 and verse 36, Jesus said he was God's son. I am God's son. So Jesus certainly made that claim, uh, in, in many places. And so I think the fact, here's the thing, Jacob, and this is what we've been ba- basically saying throughout is when we come to a passage like that, are we going to approach it as though it's a contradiction? Are we going to, or are we going to approach it with the intention to harmonize it without, with everything else we know that Jesus did and said? Right. We know that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And so And we know he rose from the dead. And so since we know that, then over here then we take that understanding. That's simple. Jesus said so. I am the Son of God. We take that understanding of this passage and then we then we're able to come up with an understanding of this passage that corresponds with the other truths that we know. Rather than Rather than trying to pit two passages against each other, we actually take the two passages and we can harmonize them with one another. It really is how are you going to approach this. Are you looking for a loophole? Are you are are you looking for the explanation, a very legitimate explanation that resolves the potential controversy? All right. 
877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Let's get this week's bullet point when we come back. Now we're going to get on to Chris's. Yeah, Chris in the UK gave us six, Seven, uh, six. six additional ones. And Jacob, if we can get through those, you suggested one that I forgot to add to the list today when I sent out the update. In Matthew chapter 12, did Jesus practice situation ethics when he justified his disciples for eating grain uh, and and used David eating the showbread as as his argument? That's going to be a, that's be a bonus question if we get to the bonus. end. But first, we have to talk about Jesus calling Gentiles dogs. Was that a sin? Did he do wrong there? We're going to take a break, get this week's bullet point, and get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Monty Overton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We appreciate your interest in the Bible. It is, after all, God's message to us. We thought you might be encouraged by a poem written by A.Z. Conrad entitled, The Bible Stands. It goes like this. Century follows century, there it stands. Empires rise and fall and are forgotten, there it stands. Dynasty succeeds dynasty, there it stands. Kings are crowned and uncrowned, there it stands. Emperors decree its extermination, there it stands. Atheists rail against it, there it stands. Agnostics smile cynically, there it stands. Profane, prayerless punsters caricature it, there it stands. Unbelief abandons it, there it stands. Higher critics deny its claimed inspiration. There it stands. The flames are kindled against it. There it stands. The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent in it. There it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment. There it stands. Modernism tries to explain it away. There it stands. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Anyone can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not easy. No change of circumstances can repair a defect of character. Man, wish I'd said that. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the program. Reminding you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, where you can find out more information about what we believe and what we practice. And if you have any questions about anything you've heard on this program or any other edition of the Virtual Bible Study, or maybe you just have a question about any Bible subject, we'd love to hear from you. The email address is questions at collegeview.com. All right. We're talking tonight uh, what, what our subject is. Last week we talked about some false views of Jesus, people not really acknowledging him to be what he is, the, the divine, only begotten Son of God. You know, we talked last week, you know, was he a created being? Was he just one of the angels? Was he was he just a prophet among many? Was he a, just a good man but nothing more than that? Right. The, in other words, false views of Jesus was last week. And, of course, all that information is available in, in the archives of the program if you didn't get to listen to that and would like to. You this, can watch it in the archives. You can even watch it in the oh, archives. Look at that. But this week what we're doing then is taking it one step further Obviously, if you are an, an opponent of Christianity, then you want to find a flaw in the in the in in our God. You want to find a flaw in our Lord and Master. Yeah. Uh, and as we said earlier, uh, if you could do that, if you could find oh, a case yeah. where he sinned, then you, you would destroy. You would really destroy everything because the the scriptures say Jesus was sinless. Yeah. So if he did sin, and if you could prove it, then you you would destroy the whole cause. Okay. So this so what we're doing is looking at some things that skeptics have come up with over the years, accusations they've made against the Christ, and uh, so we're going to look at some that were suggested to us by Chris in the UK. He said, "Did Jesus do wrong? Did he sin?" When he called the Gentiles dogs. Yeah. Do you remember that episode, Jacob? Yeah, I did, uh, where the woman comes to him, and uh, she is asking that uh, her demon-possessed daughter uh, be healed. And uh, Jesus answered in verse 26, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And She says, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be unto you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. All right. Um, what about that? 
Yeah. What version are you reading there? That's New King James. New King James. Actually, that's interesting because the New King James actually does in its translation what I think is part of the answer to this. The King James just said it's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs or to dogs. And she said, yes, true, Lord, but yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Mm-hmm. And and the King James sounds a little harsher, a little meaner. But my understanding is that that is that the expression dogs there is a diminutive term, sort of little pets. You know, we don't give the children's food to our to our little pets. Okay. And, and that is the idea. In other words, it, it wasn't like you're just a dog. You're worthless. You're, you're good. You're, you're good dog. for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're 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 just like a a maggot. Um, you're just a mongrel. Yeah. You know, or, or you know, you just when when you read that. Some would try to interpret it to mean Jesus was really putting her down, casting off on her as being worthless and good for nothing. I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of pet lovers who don't feel that way about their pets when they talk about their little dogs. Yeah. You know, they, they, and so, you know, uh, what is our understanding of, of the terminology? Again, this may be a case of one of those instances where something's lost in the translation. Okay. And I think it probably is. Uh, you know, but even even if you had... A an adamant dog lover. We know some like that. I mean, they love their dogs better than anything. Yeah. But if you so here's a family and they've got this little dog. I mean, it is their prized pet. But here's their here's their little kid. You don't give the little kids food to the dog. I mean, there there's a time and a place for everything. And so Jesus is just talking about order priority here his priority um, was initially to go to the lost sheep of the house of israel verse 24 Uh, he he said i am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house that was jesus priority at the moment that's what he was working on at the instant and so he says doesn't it doesn't make sense to take what i'm prioritized to do first yeah and do something else with it. Yeah. But the term that he used, although in the King James, when it just calls he calls her or implies the, the King James leaves the impression that he implies that she's a worthless dog. Yeah. That's not the right understanding of the text. All right. I, and there's some things, there's some obvious observations we can make from this. First off, Jesus obviously didn't think that she was a worthless dog because in not many uh, days hence, he's going to die for this woman. He didn't think she was a worthless dog. I guess right. Uh, secondly, he didn't say that she was a worthless dog, or he didn't he did, even if he, even the language he didn't say she was a dog in this. He asked the question: Is it right to give the food to dogs? The children's food. Yeah. Not yeah. not just food in general, but the, specifically the children's food to the dogs. Right. He didn't say she was a dog. He's just asking that question because she would have been looked upon as a dog by the. Jews that were around. Jesus didn't think she was, but he's making that observation. And but then she shows her humility, and she admits, yeah, "I am a dog," yeah. in, in 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 respect to my worthiness to, to receive this blessing. And, and he says, "Great is your faith." And at the end, he ends up giving her what she wanted. Right. You know. So, I think it was a teaching moment for right. sure. Right. And uh, I don't think that there's any indication that Jesus was actually referring to her as a worthless dog. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Chris in the UK, again, a Jewish term, a phrase at the time, unfortunate as may, as it may be, but also, but also doesn't the woman use the term right back at him? Jesus was saying the gospel and its benefits were the Jews first and then the Gentiles. And this lady went on to add that she would be happy with the smallest blessing while the Jews got to hear about it, the crumb, as it were, falling from the child's lap. Well, I guess I agree with some of that, but I wouldn't say that Jesus used an unfortunate term. I wouldn't, uh, I mean, that would imply that, well, Jesus was just complying with the the, the common term, language of the day, even though it was a bad language to use. Yeah, I, I, I'm not too comfortable with that explanation either. I think it's just, I think it was a teaching moment. And, you know, if in the final analysis, what you have to say is Jesus did not disrespect the woman. He actually gave her exactly what she came for. Right. When she demonstrated her faith and her humility, and in fact, Ramona said maybe he was just testing her faith, and that and and it was a test of her faith. Right. And when she responded humbly, you know, a lot of people would have just maybe been, if it was, if it was a put down response by Jesus, why didn't she just turn away? Right. What she continued to humbly ask for his blessing makes you think that it 
it didn't come across to her as some people are suggesting it reads in the King James mm-hmm. Version. All right. Okay. All right. We're going to have to move a little quicker here, Jake, if we're going to run out of time. Uh, next one. John. Did Jesus do wrong in John chapter 2 when he started a violent incident <laughs> with a whip in the temple? Now, this is almost comical. What do you think about that? Tell us about it. All right. John chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, now, and we found the temple in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and the poor, and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And, and I think the next verse may be significant, too. And he said to them that sold doves, take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house has has eaten me up. And so they quote prophecy about Jesus. Some have made the point, you know, you could they, they could gather up their sheep and their oxen. They could pick up the money that had been spilled on the floor. He didn't turn the doves loose because that might have been a irretrievable loss. Yeah. Some have tried to make a point of that. I don't know if that's a point worthy of being made. But what about the whole episode of, uh, you know, he made a whip and he drove the animals out with the whip. You know, no, he didn't. Uh, uh, well, I don't know. What do you think in verse 15? He made a scourge of small cords. He drove them all out of the temple and the sheep. Doesn't did, say that he hit them. Did, no. But he was, he was, he was certainly uh, he meant business. Uh, zealously yeah. cleansing them from the temple. Yeah. Was it wrong? No, it wasn't wrong. And uh, it'd be the, I think it would be the equivalent of uh, there being a riot uh, downtown. And the police going in and firing tear gas. Would we say that they had uh, started a violent incident? Did they, did they, they start it? They, when, they, when they used the tear gas to try and disperse. Dan, you got a th- comment. Yes, yeah, something that you know has, has kind of stuck out with me on this. You know, with that whole argument is the fact that um, you know in John in John chapter five, uh, in verse uh, thirty, I believe it is. Yeah, it says Jesus says, "I can do nothing on my own on my own initiative." As I as I hear. I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Okay. So he's he's doing you know, God's will. I, I think will. he was justified in his actions. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. He had to be. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, you know I, I guess my answer to this is going to be what we often refer to as righteous indignation. It's right to be angry about some things. Yeah. In Psalm chapter 7, verse 11, it says, God is angry with the wicked every day. Yeah. You know, uh, so God gets angry with wickedness. This was clear wickedness. Mm-hmm. They had perverted the functions of the temple and were profiteering in the process of it. Jesus was rightfully angry at what they were doing. Right. It's not wrong to be angry with sin. And Jesus was, you know, I guess part of our problem is that in this politically correct era, you're not supposed to get mad. Everybody's supposed to be able to do whatever they want. And it should not. It should not arouse any reaction from you whatsoever. You just have to smile. You just have to take it, fair. and you have. In fact, you have to tell them it's okay. Right. You have to approve that and acknowledge it as being fine. Oh, it's wonderful what you're it, doing. Yeah. That's not biblical. Okay. And so I think I'm going to hinge my answer here on what I would call righteous indignation. Well, Chris says he drove them out. Yes, but no account that they were struck. Also, a single obscure man with a bunch of small cords could, uh, with little trouble, clear a whole temple court of merchants and their animals. Maybe he was fulfilling the prophecy of Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears, for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will set as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Thank you, Chris. All right. What's our time factor here, Jacob? Uh, uh, we got a couple let's, more. Minutes. Let's grab one more real quick. I, I did a typo, Jacob, yes, in our a question. Listener in some the chat of, room corrected Some, some of our listeners caught on to that. Uh, the accusation is made that he taught his parents to hate their children. And I put John fourteen twenty six should be Luke fourteen twenty six. Jesus said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Did Jesus teach his disciples to hate their blood relatives, father, mother, wife, children, and brethren and sisters? Uh, I'm going to tell you what, if you don't get that, 
I mean, if if you're going to accuse him of, when all throughout the scriptures we're told to love our mothers and fathers, husbands are taught to love their wives. I right. mean, there's a whole chapter on that in Ephesians chapter five. Certainly, parents are to love and cherish their children. If if you're going to take that verse and try to put that twist on it, I'm not sure we can help you. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, obviously, right. Jesus is just saying that our love for him. And our devotion to him has to be greater than any other thing, any other relationship, any other and, earthly bond. And in comparison. And in like comparison. Hate. It's just it's a statement of emphasis. Yeah. Uh, um, so, I mean, if you can't understand that figure of speech, then I'm not sure I'm not sure what we can do. Well, we can take a break. If you can't understand that figure of speech, maybe during the break you can uh, maybe get your wits about you. Real quick, maybe, maybe. real quick, let's see if uh, have we got anything from Chris on that one? Yeah, Chris, he says he cites your mistype there. Oh so. yeah, and he says he uses the he uses the word. It is the figure of speech. It's hyperbole. It's hyperbole. The, it's exaggeration for emphasis. Yes, and that's all that is. All right. He says, uh, you are to love me in a way that in comparison that your love for your relatives can seem like hatred in comparison. I think that's it. I don't, I don't know how. I mean, that's, that's just too easy. All right. We'll take a break, and we'll get your thoughts on the other side about uh, some remaining ones. He hung out in the temple knowing his parents would be worried about him, and he didn't care. <laughs> that seems like a sort of a brazen thing for a kid to do. Is that wrong? Uh, he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. Okay, he was accused. Was that wrong that he was accused to be a... a and, and he ate without washing his hands. Oh, man. I'm, I'm I'll tell you, uh, as we go through this list, Jacob, you begin to see the shallowness of the... of the. I mean, that's the not, best they can come up with. Well, not too unlike the Pharisees' accusations of him. In fact, the last one being... Uh, An accusation uh, like by the, the Pharisees. <laughs> okay, yeah. so maybe we've got a, a repeat of history here. Uh, don't go anywhere. The verse Bible study goes to the top of the hour right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said, or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931-381-4567. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight, or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A new poll shows that 62% of those polled believe that abortion is morally wrong, and only 36% found it morally acceptable. 53% of respondents said they believe life begins at conception. Support for restrictions on abortion includes 79% supporting a 24-hour waiting period, 58% supporting a woman receiving an ultrasound before her abortion, and 80% supporting parental notification for underage patients. All that information is via the Washington Examiner. The Word of God says in Proverbs 6, beginning verse 16, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, and a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3.17. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight. And along the lines of abortion, you heard they, they shut down two more abortion clinics in the panhandle of Texas today. Yeah, I think there's. I think I read by the end of the year there's only really like three or four in the whole state of Texas. Well, left the liberal media was decrying the fact that women's health advocates were all up in arms. Yeah. yeah it's like you, you shut down the abortion clinic, you're going to be killing women. Yeah, they're going to be dying in the street because they that's, can't have abortions. Yeah, but I tell you, who won't be dying? That's is right. the babies. That's right. All right. Okay. Well, we've got three more to go. Let's go ahead and get to it. And get okay. It uh, get out of here. again. Thanks to Chris and UK for suggesting these sort of baseless accusations against Jesus. Not sort of. I mean, absolutely baseless yeah. accusations against Jesus. 
He hung out in the temple knowing his parents would be worried about him, and he didn't care. In Luke chapter 2, we remember that the account starts in verse 42. When he was 12 years old, they went to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Of course, they after they finished the observance of the feast, his parents and their traveling company started for home. Jesus wasn't in their group. He They thought he was, so they, they turned back looking for him. And in verse 46, it says, it came to pass after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why hast thou dealt? Why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said to them, how is it that she sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not that saying, which he said to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Well, what about that? Uh, he's 12-year-old. But even as a 12-year-old, I think we got to make the argument. He's got to still be perfect. He can't be sinning even well, as an true. adolescent, right? That's true, right, right. So was this he wrong? He wasn't a rebel, obviously. Well, was this wrong? I, I, would, I, I would emphasize that, you know, Verse 51 says that he was subject to his parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what else are we going to say about that? Do you think it was wrong what he did? Was was he disobedient and did he not care? Well, there's nowhere that, we're, that he was told to, you know, get in the caravan, Jesus, you know, load up or leaving. He wasn't, no, there's no, uh, no statement It seems like that. that they, that, of course, there's, there's a lot to that story that's not revealed. Right. But it seems like. That you know, they made it an assumption that you know he's a twelve-year-old boy. Uh, they assumed he was with their group when they headed out of Jerusalem, going back toward Galilee. Right. Apparently, they made an assumption without confirming it. Maybe I'd fault them. You know, if if I got a twelve-year-old son, I think maybe I need to do a, a little a little bit of confirming on an instance like that. And, uh, and they the, they traveled a whole day's journey before they discovered. He's not amongst the crowd. Yeah. Well, maybe I maybe I would point a finger at the parents and say, you know, you, maybe you should have checked on that. That's right, and it appears that yeah, uh, you know, the temple would have probably been a very busy place. So Jesus, it's, it's obvious that Jesus had become separated from his parents at some point along the along the line, and uh, Jesus probably didn't know that they had left yet. May not have known. I don't think that I don't think that his expression in response to them is disrespectful. Where, where the accuser said he he they were worried about him and he didn't care. He just said, you know, that he was attending to important business, his father's business. But I don't think it was disrespectful to them. Right, right. So it's another it's another one of those statements that's sort of open to interpretation. But I, how are you going to read that? I, I don't read that as a as a sinful charge against Jesus. Okay. Uh, we didn't get much response on that. We did not. Uh, Chris says he is 12, by the way, an adult in Jewish culture, so he can act independently. And once they come, he submits to them. Uh, notice that he sits with them, teaching them, not sat at their feet, teaching or learning from them. We're talking about those of the law, that he, the lawyers yeah. he was talking to. Uh, so he says, who do you think knew the law in this case? Just a thought. Uh, so... Again, I think Jesus would say he had he knew the law and he he did not do anything in there that would have been a violation of the law. The Old Testament law of Moses taught honor your father and your mother, and, right. and so he understood that law. And there doesn't appear to be anything in that that was a a violation of that command. All right, okay, but yeah, so maybe Jesus is saying, well, you should have checked with you should have checked in here because that's where I, you know if I'm around people. Where, where else would you look? Where else would you where else would you think to look? All yeah. right. All right, what about the accusation he was a glutton and a drunkard? Yeah, well, he was accused of being a drunk, a glutton and a drunkard, and, and I'm going to accuse you of being a no-good, yellow-bellied thief. Okay. You, what, what proof you got of that? Well, I, so is, it, is, is it wrong to be accused of something? Yeah, I think that's the point. In other words, you yeah. can make any accusation you want. Yeah, you're a slanderer, you yeah, you, you're you're a uh, Dan, Dan. You're a you're a murderer. Dan, you're the worst bank robber of the century. Yeah, Dan. You know, yeah. you know so you throw you're out a cattle a, rustler. Yeah, you've been rustling. Sh- you've been rustling cattle. And, yeah. You know, yeah. you know, cattle prices Harder. are pretty high right now. You know, it might be worthwhile to yeah. rustle a few cattle. Yeah. You know, you can throw out any accusation you want. Yeah. That didn't prove anything, and that's yeah. basically what we've got here in Matthew chapter eleven. 
it says, uh, uh, well, let's, let's back up a few verses. Matthew eleven sixteen. Whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is likened to children sitting in the markets and calling to their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you, and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and you have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath the devil. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children, Jesus said. Jesus said, You... you you all, you can't have it both ways, and that's what you're wanting. He says you're like a bunch of immature children who can't decide what you want. Mm-hmm. He said John came. Of course, John lived uh, a very aesthetic life out in the, in the in the wilds of the country. You know, uh, he he was not in the cities, and he was not with the people in social settings. He was out there eating wild locust and honey. I mean, he was he was a a rugged. We call him a mountain man. He would have appeared to have been out there too. You know? He looked yeah. like a rugged, yeah. a rugged yeah. outdoorsman. Yeah. And he said, "That guy's he, he's nuts. He's got a demon. He's yeah. crazy. He's yeah. he's demon possessed even." So he didn't like that. So now here I come and I associate with the people and I'm in the cities and yeah. I'm I'm talking to people. And so you accuse me. You accuse me. Now, there's, it doesn't say that there was proof. You accru- he said he did say he was eating and drinking with people. In other words, he was in social company with people. He was in contact with them. He go. He went to feasts. He went to meals. The, they said, "Well, he's just a drunk. He's a he's a glutton and a drunkard, yeah. a, a wine bibber." Well, what what do you want? You know, he, 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 nothing. In other words, this is sort of one of those deals. You couldn't make him happy no matter what you did. Right. But their accusation that Jesus had eaten too much or that he had drunk intoxicating beverages and gotten drunk, not substantiated. That's just an accusation. Right. But what he's proven is these people didn't know what they wanted, and they wouldn't be happy with anything. They'd accuse you of anything they could accuse you of to disregard you or discount what you were teaching, which is what people are doing. Yeah, that's an easy one, I think. I think that's a real easy one. All right, we're going to get to the sanitary one here. And uh, I don't know, Dan, okay. do you wash your hands before you eat? Do you, Dan? Come on, come clean. I try to. You try <laughs> to. Good answer. All right. All right, Matthew chapter 15. Of course, this is. I think this is really weak, too. I think, really, I think the summary of all these things that we've dealt with tonight, they're just so weak. The arguments are so weak. Uh, the Pharisees came to him, Matthew 15, verses 1, verse 2. Why do thy, they ask, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders, for they wash not their hands when they eat bread? Uh, well, first of all, notice that they weren't violating the law of Moses. The, the whole accusation was they were violating the, the Jewish traditions, which were not law, and therefore it was not a sin. If they did eat without washing their hands, it wasn't a sin. Okay. It, it never says that Jesus did that. The right. accusation was against his disciples. But he turned the table on him, uh, talking about how they did not honor their father and mother and how they actually used uh, the law as a loophole to keep them from providing necessary support to their needy parents. Yeah. So, you know, he said, well, you know, you all are, are flagrant violators of the law. And and he he didn't really explain whether his disciples did or did not observe the traditions of the Jews but that's all they were. They were traditions, and it wasn't a sin even if they did eat without washing their hands. All right. Randy says this is a ceremonial washing in addition of the Talmud, not found in the 613 laws of the Pentateuch, as pointed out by the following verse, which he, which stated it was the tradition of the elders. Uh, this is Chris. This is Chris. This is Chris. Yeah. Were there 613 laws in the Pentateuch? You've seen that number before? I never saw that number before. I haven't counted them. I appreciate that, Chris. Yeah. So again, and then Randy says, uh, Jesus said in return, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for your, the sake of your tradition? Yeah. All right. We got through those, Jacob. We didn't get to our bonus question, but we have dealt with that in the we past. Have. You just have to dig if, through if, the archives. If, if you look it. in the archives for situation ethics, you're going to see that Matthew 12 passage discussed where Jesus used the example of Jesus. Uh, Jesus David. used the example of David eating the showbread uh, in an explanation uh, against uh, when he, when his disciples were wrongfully accused of doing wrong. All right. But, you know, that's probably not an argument that, that people who are going to make claims against Jesus would make because they would probably be the same ones who would be in favor of situation ethics. Yeah. So they're probably not going to want to break open that can of worms. Probably not. Okay. All right, we got through it. We did. And, again, special thanks to Chris in the U.K. for giving us uh, – 
uh, several additional accusations against Jesus that we uh, could include in our overall view tonight. What, what do we say? We back all the way up to, to the, the beginning where we said Jesus claimed to be sinless. I believe that we can look at the events of his life and confirm that he did live a sinless life and uh, we need to use that as our approach when we go to these various topics uh, and various passages as we explain them. And if he did live a sinless life, then that demands a response from us. And uh, you can't discount his message by saying he did wrong. He did not do wrong. He is the Son of God, and he does demand us to be obedient and submissive to his will in our life. There you go. All right. Thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Dan, thanks for joining us tonight. Appreciate you coming and helping out, and uh, we thank you for being here tonight. We hope you you have benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.